0: Heavenly Father, we want to thank You tonight, Lord. We thank You, Father, for being our good God and our Savior, Lord. We thank You that You saw us in our in our helpless condition, and You didn't leave us that way, Father, but You had compassion on us and sent Your Son who gave Himself for our sakes. And we bless and praise You for that, Lord. We thank You, Father, that You've revealed Your mind to us in this book and, and you shine the light upon it by your Holy Spirit that you've given to dwell within us. Lord, I thank you for the saints and for the opportunity to, to fellowship and just for all the blessings that you give us. Father, I pray that you would guide and teach us, lead us through your word tonight and give us good truth to take out there into the world that we might live our lives to your glory until the day that We see you face to face. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 13. Paul writes, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation now we won't read through the whole passage we did that last week those first seven verses or so i'm going to stop there in verse 2 and let's just talk about that for a little bit whosoever therefore therefore leading us back to the to the previous verse, that the powers that be are ordained of God. And Paul is talking here, you recall, about governmental authorities and the attitude of a Christian toward those governmental authorities. And the attitude or and the conduct is basically uh, boiled down in that word in verse 1, subject, be subject unto. So because the powers that be are ordained of God, and we looked at that last week, we saw how that God establishes human government back there in Genesis and chapter nine and actually even before that we talked about Adam and the the family structure and the and the authority and the hierarchy that God built into that and the the whole idea there is that uh is that god comes uh, before us all and therefore we ought to have respect uh, to our to our parents so that comes in in, in the uh, commandments and it was long before that you look to the uh, to the elder as it were um, as someone who you submit yourself to and that goes back to the fact that god john the baptist said that christ comes after me but he was preferred before me because he was before me so that whole idea there is established in creating a man and then having the whole uh... society and human race come from him and letting him be the elder we have elders in the church those that rule in the church the bible calls elders now they may or may not be older than you or me but that's a title that's uh, that's given that that should engender um, submission on on our part. So that's the idea there. So God sets up human government um, on a uh, on kind of a global scale when Noah and his family come off the ark, and He does that by establishing the death penalty. You remember last week we saw that uh, God told Noah that if man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And and by that simple declaration, God sets up human government. So the the basic purpose then of human government is to enforce the law. There are all sorts of other... Duties and things that that they do. But essentially, government is supposed to be subject to the rule of law. The whole idea is that we don't have anarchy. Now, sometimes the rulers do that and sometimes they don't. But that's their role. And if you're obeying the law, then government, generally speaking, doesn't need to get in your business. It's when people disobey the law that the government, that's why they're there. So the government is established with the institution of the death penalty because the primary purpose is to enforce the law. Government is an enforcer. So Paul says, in that regard, be subject to the higher powers. Then that's the positive statement because the powers that be are ordained of God. God created the structure. Whoever happens to be sitting in the seat at the time is is irrelevant, the, the submission is to the seat. So so he gives us that positive statement there in verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Now in verse 2, he's going to take that from the negative. And he's, he says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And we'll talk about that damnation in a a little bit. But come with me to to Acts chapter 24. Because what Paul is talking about there, we have a word for what he's talking about, and, and it's the word sedition. And what sedition is? We've we've heard that word. If you've been listening to the news uh, lately, some people have been throwing that accusation around um, against uh, what what I believe to be honest protesters who disagree uh, with their government and are and are letting that be known. Um, the, uh, the word sedition is being thrown around. And sedition doesn't mean that you disagree with the government. That's not sedition. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ disagreed up, down, sideways, and every other way with the, uh, with the rulers of his day. Um, so disagreeing with the government is not, the, is not sedition. What sedition is, is sedition is inciting rebellion to uh to stir up people or yourself uh to rebel to what Paul says there resist the powers and sedition is not um is not something that the Lord is is at all happy with in anybody much less in his own people. Acts chapter 24, we see these accusations of sedition being thrown around in the Bible. Uh, This is the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 24, he's being accused here, and let's just break in in verse 5. For we have found this man, that is Paul, a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes who also hath gone about to profane the temple whom we took and would have judged according to our law so here as they bring the apostle Paul up before the authorities, before the powers that be, they they have there's three charges here against him. The first one is sedition. He says so. We found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews. So they're accusing Paul of trying to rile up the Jews against the government. Now, of course, if you've read the Book of Acts and Paul's epistles, you know that that's not true. That's not what he did. Nevertheless, they accuse him of it. Among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now that word sect there is the word heresy. So they're accusing Paul of sedition, of heresy, and then in verse 6, who also hath gone about uh, to profane the temple. And that's sacrilege. So those are the three charges that they bring against the apostle Paul: Sedition, heresy, and sacrilege. And sedition, heresy and sacrilege, the the secular powers don't give a give a wit about. It's the sedition that's going to get Paul in trouble with uh, with these governors and so forth. so in in heresy and sacrilege, That's why they wanted to condemn him according to Jewish law. Now, if you look further on in the passage, verse 12, Paul's answering and he says, They neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogue nor in the city. So I did not raise up. I I am not guilty. He's denying the charge of sedition. Neither can they prove the things whether they now accuse me But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my Father. So he's pleading guilty to their charge of heresy, although, of course, it's not heresy. Uh, They are the heretics. Believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, Which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So Paul, uh, they they lay on him this charge of sedition and heresy and sacrilege. He denies the sedition and the sacrilege. He says, they didn't find me in the temple uh, doing things I shouldn't have done. They didn't find me raising up the people against the government. This thing that they call heresy, yeah, that's what i that's what I teach. So he cops to that but uh, but he absolutely denies, and as he denies this charge of sedition, he says, "I herein do exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men, And that issue of conscience comes up down the passage in Romans chapter thirteen as one of the reasons why we ought to submit ourselves to the powers that be. Paul says, not just for wrath, not just because they can come and throw you in jail or worse, but for conscience sake. So Paul connects that here with this charge of sedition. And he says, I I do not commit sedition because my goal is to have a, a, a clear conscience, not just toward God, But also toward men. Now, if you look in, um, take a look back in Luke chapter 23, because Paul is not the only one that they charged with sedition. The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, himself, had that charge leveled against him and again you understand that these jews who are bringing these charges would just as soon see the government of rome uh you know crumble to pieces they're not uh concerned about sedition they're uh, but they know that this this is the charge that's going to stick with these uh with these secular powers around them so that's why they're bringing it luke chapter 23 and um Get the first couple of verses to start with. Luke 23, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him, Christ, unto Pilate, and they began to accuse him. I'm in Luke 23, 2. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation. There you go. And forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. And Pilate said to the chief, to the priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. So here again, we find these these guys laying this charge of uh, of sedition, of being anti-government against Christ. And uh, Pilate decides that This this charge is false here. Now, again, further on in the passage, if you look in verse 13, there's an ironic twist here. And Pilate, when he had called together, the chief priests and the rulers of the people said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. You know, Paul later on in that passage in acts twenty four uh, or in uh, the next chapter there, he says, if I have done something worthy of death, I, I refuse not to die and And what Paul does there is he he tells us two things. Number one, he tells us that the death penalty is legitimate. Because he says, uh, if, if I've done something, number one, there is something worthy of death uh, by human hands. And he says, if I've done something that's worthy of death, then I refuse not to die. Number two, Paul wasn't accused of killing somebody. He was, he was, he was accused of sedition and heresy and sacrilege. So those things Paul considered to be Worthy of death. But he didn't do those things. So he said, if I've done what they accused me of, then I'll submit to the death penalty. But I haven't. And he fought it tooth and nail as he should have. Um, so uh, Pilate says he's done nothing worthy of death. And verse 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him for of necessity he must release one of them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. So here they are accusing Christ of sedition, and when Pilate says, "No, he's not guilty of that. I'll release him to you," they go, "No, give us Barabbas, who is guilty of sedition." So they want this murderer and this uh, this this male factor uh, released to them rather than Christ, and that shows you the the hypocrisy of these of these charges. Read on, verse 20. And Pilate therefore. Willing to uh, release Jesus spoke again unto them, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, Crucifying and crucify him. He said the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified, and the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus... To their will and there's that 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 great juxtaposition there that we're all familiar with 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 Barabbas and the uh, and letting the uh, the sinner go and Christ dying in in his stead but the uh, but the irony there is um, you, you, you can't miss the irony there of the juxtaposition of the Lord Jesus Christ who's being accused of sedition and then this guy who's actually guilty of sedition and, and the, uh, the holiness of the one and the sinfulness of the other and, and that trade that these folks made. Now, um, come back with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel. We're talking about resisting the power First Samuel 31 See when Paul says therefore he that resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God when he talks about resisting the power he is not uh, he's he's not saying that we need to agree with Everything that the government says and does, or that we have to be happy about it. What he's talking about is is, is this. What he's talking about is is putting up a resistance um, against these earthly authorities that God has ordained. And Paul says, if you resist the authority, you're resisting the ordinance of God. First Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 31, take a look at this. Saul is uh, on the battlefield and he's been wounded and he's about to die. 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 1, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, for the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan, and um, yeah, but Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. So Saul is wounded, he's mortally wounded, he's going to die, and he tells his armor-bearer to kill him, and the guy won't do it. And he won't do it because for the same reason that David over and over and over again Listen, at this time, God has already told Saul that the kingdom's taken from you. Saul blew it when he went and offered a sacrifice. uh, and We got tired of waiting for Samuel, and he went and offered up a sacrifice on the altar, and he ought not have done that. So God says, you know, you're done. He already sent Samuel and anointed David. But all through the rest of Saul's life and and David, Saul is chasing David, and David has more than one opportunity to, to kill Saul, and he won't do it. He won't do it, he says over and over again, because I will not put forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now again... Saul's, Saul's a lame duck king. You know what a lame duck president is, right? He's in, the, you know, he's, a, he's in the last leg of his term and he's got no power left. Nobody cares what he says because he's going to be out of there in a little while. Well, Saul's a lame duck king. But David still sees him as the Lord's anointed. And as long as he's sucking air, David is not going to take that away from him lest he sin against God. So that's the idea of, uh, that would be a case of resisting the power to kill a king. Um, But David wouldn't do it. So And this armor bearer is the same situation. He won't do it. Now it says he was afraid. Now this guy's an armor bearer. This is not some kid in the back. This guy is a, he's the king's armor bearer. This guy's a hardened warrior. He's got no problem putting a sword in somebody. He's, he's afraid because this is God's anointed. Because this is the king. This is the power that that be. So he doesn't want to do it. So Saul falls on his own sword. Now I'll, I'll point out to you too, before we go into 2 Samuel here and see what happens, the king is commanding him to kill him. So... So here you are. What do you do? I'm supposed to submit to the powers that be. Well, here's the king telling me to do something to kill him. But God says, I would not be too happy if you did that. So what do I do? Well, we ought to obey God rather than men. But... uh, but that is as, uh, as extreme a case as you can come across. And the guy says, no, I am not going to do it. But he gets a second chance, Saul does. In 2 Samuel, and we will uh, just read a short bit of this here as much as we need to. Look at 2 Samuel verse chapter 1, verse 6. Another young man comes to David, and he tells him that Saul and Jonathan are dead. And second Samuel 1:6, and the young man that told him said, David asked him how he knows." And he says, as I happened by chance upon Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear. Well, that's where we left him at the end of First Samuel. And lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me. And I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me and slay me, for anguish has come upon me because my life. Life is yet whole in me. So when when Saul falls on his own sword, he doesn't die. So now he's laying there. He's already been wounded. Now he's laying there, just you know, wallowing in his own in his own blood. And and this other guy walks by. His armor bearer is dead next to him. And this other guy comes by and he says, "Kill me, please." So I verse ten. So I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure that he could not live. After that, he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Then David took uh, took hold on his clothes and rent them. Then likewise, all the men that were with them, and they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul, for Saul, who, by the way, has been trying to kill David for years... And for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger, and a Malachite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? and David called one of the young men and said go near and fall upon him and he smote him that he died and David said unto him thy blood be upon thy head for thy mouth hath testified against thee saying say that five times fast saying I have slain the Lord's anointed so David says "Your, your guilt comes out of your own mouth now here's Saul he's laying there dying by the way, this passage speaks to uh, to a lot of different things. Um, yeah, what if somebody's in pain and at the end of their life, and they're gonna die anyway, and they say, "Please kill me." Well, that situation comes up, doesn't it, and we when we debate it in our society. Well, I guess you can argue that Saul was a special case, but uh, he's a human being like everyone else um but in the context of what we're talking about here david sees no place for mercy in this situation this guy has got to die and we've been seeing this all throughout worthy of death worthy of death worthy of death this idea of uh of resisting the power in the in the sense of sedition or in an extreme case like this where you're actually going to put forth your hand and kill one of these one of these powers so God is not uh, is not pleased with this whole idea of of resisting the power and that's Paul's point there he says on the one hand be subject on the other hand don't resist now come with me if you would to uh, to second Peter because I, I want I want us to read these passages. And I want us to to see and to understand the severity of what we're talking about here. There are a lot of things that people do and can do in disobedience to God. But this issue that we're talking about here uh, is not a light Thing, and no sin is a light thing but God's attitude toward uh, disobeying this principle that we're talking about here is severe this isn't one sin among many this in the eyes of God is huge Second Peter I mean David just showed us that you go over there and kill that guy uh, for touching the Lord's anointed. Second Peter, if I can see, chapter 2, pick it up, uh, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished but chiefly them that walk after the flesh to the lust of uncleanness and despise government that's what we're talking about here resisting the power and that's despise now now we're talking about think little of presumptuous are they self-willed they are they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities now again that's not disagreeing with dignities that's speaking evil of dignities there's a difference whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the lord but these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, which David just showed us, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and they shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots are they, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you and and he goes on you can you can read down through the passage there so the now these guys here who he 's talking about are not uh, are not Christian people they're people uh, uh, who are the kind of people that you 're going to be dealing with in the uh, in the tribulation period who are just essentially um, uh, you know, run rampant, godless, and so forth. But you see, there the attitude that God takes against despising governments, speaking evil of authorities. And I'm my half hour is up, so let me let's just look at the book of Jude, and I want to show you something real quick, and I'll open it up here. Jude, Jude, you know, is very. Uh, Companion to Second Peter, but Jude throws in an example here that I want to that I want to see. The book of Jude, just just before Revelation, will get you there. And um, let's get verse seven. It's only one chapter in the book of Jude. Jude verse seven. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, same kind of context as Second Peter there, talking about the last days, uh, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. So here we are again, and, and, and that language there is not nice. This is God's attitude towards uh, these people who, uh, who are seditious. And, um, and yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. And that's what David said to Saul. He said, my hand will not be upon you. He said, God is going to deal with you. Just like Paul uh, told the folks there, he said, but, but my hand is not going to be upon you. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to bring that guilt on myself. God will deal with these, uh, with these rulers as he sees fit. Even Satan, and that's Jude's point here, Michael, who has more authority than all all of these folks that he's talking about, would not bring a railing accusation against Lucifer himself, because he's a power, he's an authority. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know... Naturally, as brute beasts, that's there's that again. In those things, they corrupt themselves. Now, I'm not exactly sure why they keep. uh, Peter did the same thing. He brought up this brute beast. Other other than the idea of this is kind of the law of the jungle here. That, you know, we're, we're going to despise governments, we're going to speak evil of dignities, we're going to be seditious and try and overthrow, or, or whatever it is, and then what? Then we're going to have anarchy, and we're going to be like a bunch of brute beasts. Um, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Cory. And then he goes on, just like Peter, there are spots in your Feast of Charity and so forth. Now, we know who Cain is. He, uh, he was a murderer. He was the first murderer. Killed his brother. And that's um, not good company for, for, to, to, you know, for these folks to find themselves in. Uh, Balaam, we know who Balaam is. Balaam was a prophet. And, uh, and and went out and tried to curse God's people for for money so somehow he finds his way into this and then Corey you remember cora Dathan and Korah in uh, back there with Moses Dathan and Korah looked at Moses and they said Moses you take too much upon yourself all of the people of God are holy and and who made you a prince over us? You made yourself a prince over us. And Moses says, "Okay, I'll tell you what." He says, "If you all die the death of all men, natural death or whatever it is, then you're right. Then I'll give that to you. But if God does a new thing and the ground opens up and swallows you, uh, then we'll figure that I was uh, that you were wrong." And of course. The ground opened up and swallowed them and their families and their cattle and closed back up on them again. And then God said, "Okay, does anyone else have anything to say?" So, so that's the idea there. So that's who we that's who we uh, who we're pulling in. So when Paul says, uh, "Don't resist," and he that resisteth shall bring to himself damnation. Well, this is, you can see the judgment that comes upon these people through the Bible. You can see the seriousness of the charge when they lay it upon innocent people. Um, It's a serious charge. And for you and me, the ground's not going to open up and swallow us, and we're not going to have the damnation of eternal hell. But you know that damnation, like salvation, has different meanings in different contexts, and there is a destruction. There is a destruction that comes with refusing to uh, to see and even resisting the ordinance of God, that God has established uh, this human government, and I'm over my time.